Welcome to the Lock Sportscast, your weekly source for Lock Sport news and sometimes interviews. This is episode 75, recorded November 6, 2021. I'm your host, Charles Current. In today's episode, teaching lockpicking in high school, first pick of the ASIO by lock, lockpicking forensics, where to buy locks in Canada, why you shouldn't pick locks, payphone bandits and other criminals, meetups, sales, giveaways, and more. You can subscribe to the audio version of this show on most podcast apps and at thelocksportscast.com. If you don't already have a podcasting app, you can find a podcasting 2.0 compatible app at newpodcastapps.com. You can subscribe to the video version on YouTube or Odyssey. Links to stories discussed will be in the show notes. You can always find full show notes with all of the links at thelocksportscast.com. First up in the news this week is a film being made called The Locksmith, featuring Ryan Philippi, Kate Bosworth, and... Finn Rames. The film The Locksmith follows Miller, an expert locksmith fresh out of prison after a job gone bad. Back home, he tries to work his way back into the life of his daughter and ex-girlfriend Beth, who is now a police detective. Determined to make a clean start, he is forced to use the only skills he has as a gifted locksmith, but things soon get complicated after an unexpected kidnapping, and from there, take a tumultuous turn. I don't have high hopes for anything coming out of Hollywood about locksmiths and lockpicking, but might be entertaining. Who knows? And iFisk pointed me to a website called The Lock Judge. The site has a series of articles on different types of locks, door locks, bike locks, padlocks, etc. It's pretty well done, and while I don't agree with all of the choices, like the choice of professional pick set, the author clearly puts some research and thought into the choices, unlike most lock and lockpicking ranking articles that I've read. That's demonstrated by the inclusion of rat yoke picks in the best lockpick section, and he even has some lockpicking lawyer recommendations in some of the sections, so it might be worth a read for those of you who are interested. First up in community news, we have what appears to be the first public pick of the ASIO by lock by Do Not Duplicate. It is a government issued Lock has staggered pins and multiple false gates per pin. So check out the link in the show notes if you want to see that pick. Head over and give Do Not Duplicate a big congratulations. And while you're at it, you might want to subscribe to the channel. Looks like that channel only has 13 subscribers at the moment. So could use a little more help there. Head over and check it out. And we have a story out of Marquette, Michigan, written by Mary Leaf for TV6. Upper Peninsula High School students participate in first-ever UperCon. Over 300 Upper Michigan high school students learned unique cybersecurity skills Thursday. The Upper Peninsula Cyber Institute held its first-ever UperCon in NMU's Northern Center Ballrooms. The students from 15 Upper Peninsula high schools learned skills including lockpicking, cyber defense, and Python computer programming. Students rotated through four of seven classes throughout the day. The UP Cyber Institute director, Doug Miller, hopes to encourage students to think about their futures. Miller says, it's all about trying to get the kids excited about this as a career, that they can do this. Every one of the students here is in a position where they have the opportunity to explore this if they want to pursue it. And during lunch, the high school students heard from a cybersecurity panel of NMU students. So pretty cool teaching lockpicking and cybersecurity skills to high school students. And then iFisk sent in a website called Lockpicking Forensics. 
Looks like the site hasn't been updated in a while, but it does have quite a bit of information on it. And the description says, LockpickingForensics.com is dedicated to the science and study of forensic locksmithing. The site has information that will help determine method of entry, identify tool marks and techniques, determine skill level of attackers, preserve, collect, and protect evidence, maintain a clean forensic workspace, organize and write investigative reports. So it looks like it has a lot of good information. However, like I said, it hasn't been updated since 2012 as far as I can tell. So if you are curious about lockpicking forensics, might be an interesting site to check out, pick up a few tips. And Incredimike informed me that he has created a new site called Where to Buy Locks in Canada. The site description says, As a Canadian, it can be difficult to find those sweet deals on locks that our American and European pickers seem to find in their country. This list is an attempt to gather Canadian-based shops and other vendors that Canadians should check out when purchasing new locks, picks, or other equipment. To be on the list, product prices must be in Canadian dollars and items must be shippable to Canada for a reasonable price. Ideally, all products will be shipped from within Canada and there are no affiliate links on this page. So if you're in Canada and you've been looking for a good place to purchase locks or lock picking tools, you can check that out and the link will be in the show notes. And I came across this story from The Union. It's titled Hand-Me-Down Lock Sparks Hobby and Online Group. Robert Whittaker received an old Yale brand lock from his father, a gift that led to a collection of historic padlocks and keys and grew into an avocation beyond that of a mere hobbyist. After designing a website for a local locksmith seven years ago, Whittaker's initial interest evolved into an enthusiasm for lock picking. Enthusiasm runs high among the locksport community, a term they use to differentiate themselves from locksmith and nefarious offenders engaged in criminal enterprise. It gave rise to an international sport group, Locksport International, in July of 2005, which solidified the term within the community. The core of the philosophical belief of those involved in Locksport is a conviction that they are responsible for full disclosure and are obligated to accept that anyone who picks locks does so on locks only he or she own, or on other locks, an individual obtains consent from the rightful owner. Despite the mental stimulation, after a time it became a little monotonous, Whitaker said. When his father passed along an old Yale lock found mostly on the East Coast, Whitaker's enthusiasm was renewed and diverted toward collecting and showing historic pieces. It was then he transitioned into vintage lock collecting, collaborating with his longtime partner. The partners decided to call themselves the Whitaker Cack Yale Collection. Whitaker says, we co-own the locks and we both enjoy and actively collect the pieces. Whitaker emphasized that there is an unspoken set of ethics among lock enthusiasts. He says, the locksport community strives to be very respectful. It's a gentleman's agreement towards other people's locks and we do not use our professional skills in an unauthorized manner. Locksport is full of some really neat people and encompasses various historical industries of railroads, prisons, and hotels. And I can't agree more than with that statement. Everybody I've come across is really, really cool. If you want to check out the article, the link will be in the show notes. There are some really cool pictures of old locks, some of the collection in the article. So recommend checking it out. And over on Twitter, Boris, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name, Boris. Uh, He's at ZBZZN on Twitter. Put up a tweet, said, my cutaway big 3D printed lock is finally ready. And it looks pretty cool. It's a it's a pretty big size. It's about hand-sized, 3D printed, cutaway demonstration lock. 
and he provides a link to the model on Thingiverse, which I followed. And checking out his profile on Thingiverse reveals even more lock-related designs. He's got several different printable padlock designs, including a pancake padlock, which is a 3D printable version of the famous six-lever champion pancake lock. He has gyro-cylinder cutaway holder. And the description says, have you seen LockNoob make a cutaway without any power tools here? And link to the video. I did and tried to do this at home. The cuts were crooked and lame. I designed this holder to make the cuts completely straight and aligned. Pretty cool little idea. I like that one a lot. Then a pinning box, two different versions of disc detainer pick handles, and a front loader. All on his profile on Thingiverse. I will have a link to that in the show notes. And over on Reddit, Mr. Picker put up a post, 0.019 inch Red Heart and Turtle Shell IPA short hook. It says, the Turtle Shell IPA is rare and hard to get, but I love how it turns out. Hard to work with too. It's brittle when cutting, but worth it. And wow, just amazing, beautiful work. I can't even describe it. So please just follow the link or go check him out on Reddit. It's Mr. Picker, M-R. P-I-C-K-U-R, Mr. Picker, amazing custom pick work. I hadn't seen his posts before, but wow, definitely worth checking out. And over on Twitter, one of the K1 Locks Twitter profiles has been compromised, evidently. So K1 Locks, using the account at underscore K1 Locks, said, my other page at K1 underscore Locks has been compromised. This is my new Twitter account. And please check me out every Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, with a link to his YouTube channel. So if you are following the old channel and you're seeing a bunch of spam posts over there, which is what appears to have happened, that is why. Check out the new page, which is at underscore K1 locks, not at K1 underscore locks. Anyway, just thought I'd let everybody know. And I saw a Announcement on the Lockpickers United Discord that they are getting ready to start up the charity raffle again for this year and are looking for a few people to volunteer to help out with some of the administrative tasks. So if you're interested, you can head over there and let them know. Just look in the announcement section. And you should know that if you decide to join the team and help out, you will not be allowed to participate in the raffle itself. But Looks like last year they raised $44,150 total. So would be nice to have a really good turnout like that or better this year. So head over and check out and see if you can help take the load off a little bit. For videos this week, we'll start off with the top 10 reasons why you shouldn't pick locks by Lock Noob. The description says, clearly picking is awesome and a skill I want everyone to try but that doesn't mean that it doesn't come with its own risks. Here are my top 10 things to look out for when lockpicking so you don't make the same mistakes I have. And I think it's an important video, especially for newer pickers. I see a lot of people really blow off the you shouldn't pick a lock in use rule. And most of the time you'll get away with it. It's going to be just fine. But every once in a while, something will go wrong and you could damage that lock and keep it from being usable. So this video goes over a lot of the reasons locks can be damaged from picking or gutting and other things. So something worth checking out and I think a good one to share with 
new users who don't understand why that rule is in place. And after sharing multiple videos last week about the Bantam lock, Lockpicking Legend put out a video called Bantam Dimple Cross-Section Lockpicking. So this is another one of his videos where he cut a lock in half as a cross-section, and this one is on the Bantam. And he shows how the pins work, how they interact in the core. Definitely worth checking out if you're planning on picking one of those. Of course, link in the show notes. And Albert LaBelle made a video called How to Make a Distainer Pick Start to Finish. The description reads, I started making my own tips a few years ago, and the hourglass shape has worked out best for me in defeating many distainer locks. The video shows him taking the ejector pins that most people buy and working them down to a working distainer tip from start to finish, showing the before and after. So if you are into distainer picking and you have, especially if you have a Sparrows tool and you're having problems with those tips breaking, then this might be worth checking out. And Mr. Blackmagic made a video on the Codkey Loxus L52. This is a 24-pin dimple lock with a split core and a really, really long key. But he demonstrates how the fact that they have the split core actually provides a opportunity for an easier pick with a special tension tool he made and a long pick. He is able to pick just the back core to get the lock open. Shows you the tools he used and how he goes about it. So worth checking out. On to meetups, we have Lock Camp at Lockhart State Park in Lockhart, Texas, November 12th through the 14th. And then we have Hack in the Box Cyber Week. This is from a press release that came across my desk. It says, Abu Dubai's Disrupt AD brings Hack in the Box Cyber Week back. It says, following a hugely successful Hack in the Box Cyber Week event in Abu Dubai in 2019, Disrupt AD brings back the event to the UAE's capital, where the world's best thinkers and cybersecurity experts will come together in a five-day hybrid event from November 21st through the 25th, 2021. It looks like it is split into a security conference on the 24th and 25th and training labs on the 21st through the 24th featuring 32 of the world's best subject matter experts speaking across four vertical tracks. Security exhibition is open to the public, featuring IoT hacking challenges, wireless security, packet capture contests, lockpicking classes, car hacking workshops, AI-related demos, and hardware-focused challenges. So that will be in Abu Dubai, in the UAE, on the 21st through the 20th. 5th of November, link in the show notes to the press release. I don't have a website that didn't link to it for some reason. In Lockpickers United belts this week, we have two new purple belts. We have H8 Red Flip and Kawaki Karma. In brown, we have Dromocyte. And in red, we have Memorian. And then we have a black belt announcement as well. It says, please put your fingers to work congratulating Lock Affinity on making it to Black Belt. He has picked the Asa Twin V10 EVA 3KS, and he used a beautiful homemade DD pick to open the Abloy Classic and Abloy Profile. Congratulations to all of you. Very, very well done. And keep up the great work. And now it's time to say thank you to the people that made this episode possible. Start with the Patreon subscribers. 
We have Pandafrog, Michael Gilchrist, Starlock, Williams Brain, Dave to be deciphered, Pat from Uncensored Tactical, PH Picker, Three Raccoons in a Coat, Sherelle, Patty Cakes, Dr. Hogmaster, Clayton Howard, aka Cool Tune, Mog, John Locke, Rack Yoke, Mr. Picker, Cranky Lock Picker, Real Tater, JHP Picking. Chief content producer for this episode is I Fisk. Other content producers are Artichoke2000, Cherell, Dr. Hogmaster, Good Guy, aka B&E A to Z, Incredimike, Joe Picks, Joshua Gonzalez, Michael Gilchrist, Mr. Black Magic, and Tony Varelli. Thank you to all of you for your support. And remember, this show is only possible because of the information and support sent in by the community. So if you value this podcast, please help support it by sending in your news, links, events, giveaway information, anything you have that's Locksport related that you think the community might enjoy knowing about. Just send it to podcast at thelocksportscast.com or any of the other methods listed on the website. Don't forget to share the podcast with your lockpicking friends if you're going to an in-person meetup or online. Either way works. You can leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or a comment and a thumbs up on YouTube or Odyssey. You can subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube or Odyssey channels. And if you want to support financially, you can donate via PayPal or subscribe on Patreon. Patrons do get a private RSS feed that gets them the podcast episodes about a day early. So if you support the show with a donation or information I use in the show, I will give you credit in the show and in the notes. Quick reminder, I am still looking for Locksport Journey stories. If you have a story of how you started in Locksport or how you journeyed through Locksport, you think it's interesting or different or just highlights how the community is amazing, be sure to send it in to me and I will get it on the air. And you're welcome to send feedback. That feedback can be confidential or shared on the show. Your choice. If you want it to be shared on the show, you can send in a note, video, or audio recording. Just make sure to keep it reasonable length, polite, work and family safe, no politics, no drama, and I will try to get it on the show. For our lock story this week, we have an article called Jurassic Hacking from the Design Observer, written by Paul Gansky. It's an interesting article trying to compare modern-day hacking to breaking and entering, basically. Kind of strange. But I'm going to read uh, selected sections of it here. As few crimes are as unassumingly designed as hacking, banal knots of computerized code can bring giants like Target, Google, Apple, or Sony to a standstill, seizing their intimate data. Credit cards, banking numbers, damning emails and pictures, classified corporate strategies, etc. To protect themselves, corporations have long sought to understand who hackers are and how they design their assaults. AT&T was one of the earliest tech firms to lead the charge. In 1969, they compiled a pioneering stereotype of hackers and the burglarous tools they used to loot $4 million annually from the payphones at the time, the most widespread valuable technological system in operation. In Coin Telephone Larcenies, a confidential brochure printed to aid police, AT&T precisely illustrated how high-tech crime was conducted. The publication is utterly unique. An official guide to subterranean world, it offers a pre-digital chronicle of hacking when perpetrators trafficked in lockpicks rather than lines of code. The article says that only 1 in 45 hackers were apprehended on average and only 1 in 60 were ultimately convicted. And it says, it continues, AT&T framed hackers as a misguided fringe element, a characterization that persists into the present. AT&T divided hackers into two camps based upon how they designed their instruments. The first group, composed of sophisticated lockpickers, 
employed plugs and vices, hammers and grinders, and even spare steak knives. In two minutes flat, these humdrum door-pulling tools could pop open a payphone's cash box without damage. Lockpickers ranked first on AT&T's most wanted list since their hacking often went undetected, allowing for an effortless getaway or repeated robberies. A lockpicker's penchant for wearing an attractive-looking suit, carrying an attache case, and leaving the scene in a nice-looking car abetted their slippery nature. By contrast, lockpickers' brutish brethren, the strong arms, were easily spotted. Wielding crowbars and logging hooks, these hackers ripped payphones from their fixtures and carted them off, prying into their cash boxes later in the backseat of a car or a hotel room. If this required too much patience, strong arms opted for shootouts, punching phones open with ball-bearing loaded construction guns. Given their outrageous methods, strong arms had a much greater chance of being caught. Despite identifying hackers in the coin telephone larcenies brochure and detailing how they designed their heists, AT&T admitted that these criminals would remain elusive. Like contemporary hacking groups such as Anonymous, most hackers in the 1960s worked inconspicuously as they ransacked a vastly dispersed technological system. Even with advanced knowledge of lockpickers and strong arms, policing every payphone would prove impossible. Only innovations in design, AT&T opined, would deter hackers and staunch the millions they plundered each year. As the 1960s ended, AT&T launched an array of veiled defensive strategies matching the invisibility of hackers. First, the company's design team at Bell Labs in Murray Hill forged coin relay shields. These galvanized sleeves of protection hidden within the cash boxes could withstand gunfire at close range, seeking ever more imperceptible types of security. AT&T engineered a talking payphone outfitted with a silent alarm hidden in the phone's cash box. This miniature sentry sent electronic alerts to AT&T personnel at even the slightest provocation from a lockpicker. At their shrewdest, AT&T designed crafted aluminum hoods for payphones. The rugged housings were simple, ingenious way to prevent strong arms from peeling payphones off their fixtures with crowbars, yet the design did not introduce itself as a security measure. Rather than bring unnecessary attention to criminal activity, AT&T designers hoped most customers would think the hood was a form of weatherization, shielding payphones from snow, rain, and harsh sunlight. I'm not sure I agree with the conflating of the term hacker with a common breaking and entering larceny. Crowbars and pry bars tearing payphones off the wall is not what I would call hacking. You you might be able to make the link between lockpicking and hacking, but these are just common criminals just trying to get a buck and, you know, not very sophisticated, a lot of them. So I'm not sure I would I would make that conflation. And the line that said AT&T framed hackers as a misguided fringe element, a characteriz- characterization that persists to the present. Well, if we're talking about criminal hackers, yeah, they are a misguided fringe element of modern society. Most people aren't out there hacking, stealing, uh, doing ransomware, stuff like that. You have people out there trying to find vulnerabilities to turn them over to the manufacturers, the, the, the white hat style. And you have the criminal hackers. Hacker is a pretty broad term. I'm not sure it really fits here. Anyway, let me know what you think. In criminal news, we have an article out of Chicago by CBS Chicago. Northside condo building residents alarmed by mail thefts apparently committed using a master key. 
says one key fits all. And it's a big problem for residents of a Chicago condo building where people keep having their mail stolen. Thieves have been captured on surveillance video using a key that is supposed to be post office only property. Postal carriers use master key to access mailboxes all at once in a multi-unit building. So when the residents of Claiborne Corridor area condo building caught two non-residents rifling through all 40 mailboxes, it sounded alarms. Condo board member John Crenshaw says clearly they have access through a master postal key. It is the only way you can get in if you don't have a key fob to our building. If you had a key fob to our building, we would have been able to track where that fob came from. They say their building is not easy to enter. The front door is locked with a buzzer and the mailroom is locked too. The article goes on to say, Meanwhile, this is just the latest in a string of stories we have done on thieves using a master postal key to steal mail from apartment buildings. Crenshaw said victims have filed complaints with the post office. A post office spokeswoman said she has given the information to the theft department and and all complaints are investigated. So if somebody did in fact steal or copy somehow a postal master key, then yeah, everybody who is required to use that key is now vulnerable. That's uh, one of the downsides of having a back door in your security system. Think about that when you're talking cybersecurity. Do you really want the government to build in a back door? Then all it takes is one person with the right key, and they have access to everything. The next story is out of Spain. Spanish police arrest 12 for kidnap and torture of Belgian citizen over drug theft. It says, on June 1st, five hooded individuals accosted a Belgian citizen as he was about to get into his car in a southern Spanish city of Marbella. Armed to the teeth, they forcibly took him to a rural house about 30 kilometers north and held him for ransom for five days until the police secured his release. Kidnappers prevented their victim from sleeping during the entire time that he was in their power. They also beat him repeatedly and tried to trigger hypothermia by covering his body with ice bags, then pointing a fan at him. According to national police, the kidnapping was tied to the theft of 1.5 million euros in a drug shipment, which was stolen from one of the members of the gang. This is the same amount of money that the kidnappers were asking the victim's family for in exchange for his release. Instead, the relatives contacted law enforcement. Three months later, the police arrested the perpetrators, four French nationals and eight Spanish citizens between the ages of 19 and 51. They were all members of a drug smuggling organization. Four of them have been sent to prison. According to investigators at the National Police's Drug and Organized Crime Unit, the members of the gang have long records that include violent crimes, drug trafficking, and arms possession. On September 15th, the police sent out more than 70 officers to their residences and made 12 arrests. Searches conducted during the raid yielded high-tech equipment such as geolocation devices, frequency inhibitors, several drones, and spy cameras. Officers also found key-copying machines, lockpicks, baklavas, binoculars, luxury watches, and three vehicles and cash. So a drug trafficking ring, but uh, also looks like they have uh, interesting key-copying machines and lockpicks. So wonder what they're using those for. Moving on to sales, thinkpeterson.com still has their closeout on their picks with the hydrometer rubber handles. So you can go over there and get a deal on those. Matt's lock pit, the sale still appears to be up as of this recording. 
3dlocksport.com. 10% off with the code LSCAST10. MakoLocks.com. 15% off with the code BUYMAKO. UKLockPickers.co.uk. 10% off with the code GIFT. Four giveaways. We have the same as last week. We have Joe Picks, Purple Belt, and 100 Subscriber Almost Giveaway. Rules, post a video using the hashtag Joe Picks Double Giveaway. Pick a lock and tell him an interesting story about you and Locksport. And after posting the video, get a bonus entry by sharing the contest and taking him somewhere on social media. I will have a link to his video in the show notes with all of the rules. Dr. Hogmaster has the Dr. Hogmaster's Sesquinscriber Pick a Lock Wrong Giveaway of Dimple Picks and Unlocks. What a name. Uh, Rules on that to be entered. Post a video of you picking a lock wrong. Creative interpretations of this description are welcome. Use the hashtag sesquinsentscriber in the title of your video. And that one runs till sometime in November. It doesn't say exactly when, so I'm just trying to make sure I don't see the announcement that it's over video before I post this. CLK Supplies does their hashtag LockBoss giveaway every week, so check that out if you're into winning prizes and giveaways. Remember to send me any information you have that's LockSport related. Anything at all, even if you don't think it's important or you think it's so big that everybody else has sent it to me and I've obviously seen it myself. Truth is, I probably haven't. I don't have a whole lot of time to research for this show. I rely a lot on you guys sending in your information and letting me know what's going on in your parts of the community. So keep it up and thank you to everyone. Remember to keep it legal.